Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. Nadia. And we're back with a guest from four years ago. I can't <laughs> believe it. Uh, can you reintroduce yourself? I'm Amara Almed. I'm a PhD. I am now a PhD candidate at University of Chicago. Last time I talked to y'all, I was just a PhD student. And I'm also the co-lead on a project by the organization Queer Crescent uh, on a survey of LGBTQ Muslims in the United States called Presencing Ourselves. Uh, it's a pun, so like presencing ourselves and sensing ourselves at the same time. I feel like we probably could have communicated that better, but I'm on a podcast now to explain it. Can you tell everyone like a little bit more about Queer Crescent as an organization? Oh, yeah. Um, so Queer Crescent, I want to say, say started in 2017. It was initially a support group. I don't even think it was called Queer Crescent. I mean, it was just called something like Oakland LGBTQ uh, Muslim Support Group. And from that, uh, like, just starting out as a single event, eventually it started doing more programming. So putting on like Know Your Rights seminars, uh, running Ramadan events. Like uh, I think they did queer iftars uh, either two or three years before COVID happened. Um, and once COVID happened, things moved online. So they've started doing online events. And one of the things that they are also doing is helping me and my co-research uh, lead, uh, Hamza Daoud, do this survey project. So there's a lot of uh, fingers in a lot of pies now. Uh, that's, that sounds very exciting. It's always cool to see these projects fill, start just to fill needs as they need to be filled, you know? But um, so why queer Muslims specifically? I mean, you know, I know. Listeners, do you want to know why? <laughs> I, I can definitely give her why, and saying as this is a quantitative project, I can also give why with numbers. Ooh, fancy. Uh, Show us yes. your numbers. My favorite number is that there is an organization that does uh, numerous surveys of the Muslim population in the United States, uh, IPSU, the Institute for Social Policy and, wait, Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. And they did a survey and they actually asked, if there were any people who were responding to it that were LGBTQ in some way. And out of 900 plus respondents, they got absolutely zero, which, uh, yeah, that's statistically nonsensical. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's always a problem is finding representation within surveys and of a population, because it's like, one, it, in some cases, it's the government asking. Mm-hmm. Or worse, it's the government not asking, as I think was under debate with Trump and the census. So having these third-party numbers available is an invaluable resource when, you know, when our uh, government may not be the most consistent in reporting and checking results, nor maybe the best actor to gather those. Exactly. And the, like, you can see this in the government's attempt to not count certain people when you don't count certain people in censuses and studies 
they're somewhat invisible for the purposes of government, for the purpose of research, for the purpose of understanding. So even if like everyone knows there are queer Muslims out there, if you just take the number of Muslims in the United States and you know, what's called a multiply that by the percent, divide that by the number of LGBTQ people there are on average on the population, you get a pretty big number, which is why surveys like the Ipsu one reaching zero is not an encouraging sign. And it kind of pointed to there needing to be some actual quantitative work done on this. Because um, the, the, not to say that there's no work whatsoever. There is some are some people working on it from a qualitative angle. My dissertation work is on it from a qualitative angle. Um, but I often feel like even if you have anecdotes, even if you have ethnographies, like actual narratives, uh, unless you actually have numbers, people aren't going to be paying attention. Like it's even if you have people saying we exist, we have these problems, we have these needs, until you have it down in a data set, it doesn't exist in our society at times. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the people who are making a budget and crunching numbers in public policy positions are basically like, yeah, this we do have, like you said, it, they do exist, but it's like, how much is this going to cost us and how much should we plan to allocate? Yeah, even when they're sympathetic. Yeah. Like I was talking to uh, some people who are working at UC Berkeley and they were talking about people want to be able to reach out specifically to LGBTQ Muslim folks. After all, there are programs that reach out to LGBTQ Christian folks and people of other religions as well, but they're just like, we don't know how. All we hear is you exist, but we need to actually have something we can point to in a meeting and say, hey, they have these particular needs, we can meet them here. Because even charitable giving has to be quantified to donors, especially if you're gonna you know, say, hey, we're spending this responsibly, or if you have to do, um, what was it, 501c3 uh, reporting mm -hmm. of some kind, or yep. if you're going to um, provide evidence to any one of the oldest accountable organizations that go back and say, hey, are these charities legit? Exactly. And conveniently, addressing that need also lets me divulge in my one true love of research with a capital R. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> so not only is this helping the community, it is incredibly self-serving to you as well and satisfying your need for <laughs> research. 100%. Like, I, I am part of Queer Crescent. It is a, uh, like, activist organization specifically focused on queer Muslims. But if there was a person who would just pay me to, like, be a mad social science in a basement spying on people with, I don't know, I guess... An invisible drone, it would be very tempting. We seem to run across a lot of those kind of people in this podcast. It's like, oh yes, let me survey, let me survey this population. I'm so interested. Yeah. It is the same demographic of people who like to talk on podcasts, I think. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I say talking yeah. on a podcast. That, that correlation does make sense. Yeah. Um Okay, so I guess to answer people's question of like, well, how do I find these people? What exactly have been your uh, methods for finding participants for the survey? So, so far, our main methods have been reaching out to places that we know there are a good number of uh, queer and trans Muslims, like uh, 
Instagram was the first place that we posted because Queer Crescent has built up a bit of a following on there and there are other uh, queer and trans folks on Instagram who could boost that. Additionally, we've reached out on various kinds of social media, despite the fact that it seems most of the people on Queer Crescent and a lot of my fellow researchers are afraid of Reddit, reached out on Reddit, reached out on Discord, reached out on Facebook. Uh, and the next steps are reaching out to national organizations, organizations to try to get them to help boost. Uh, since there was a survey done through the UC Berkeley Othering and Belonging Institute uh, in coordination with a bunch of other organizations on uh, Islamophobia in America, since you would think there would be quantitative research there, but there was a surprising lack there too. And they found this a really useful strategy for reaching out to Muslim folks who might not otherwise want to talk about a particular issue. Because just like Islamophobia and how it affects people, uh, transphobia and LG queerphobia of all sorts also affects people and maybe doesn't make them want to come out and yell their stories to the world. Yeah. Though I will yeah. say, I we did specifically try to have questions in the survey that are not all doom and gloom. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's not something that people always um, think about when it comes to like very targeted surveys, but it's true. Like it affects you when you're just sitting there like writing about like, what's the worst day of your life? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, or yeah. please and, reflect um, on all the negative experiences you you've experienced in the past year and quantify them for us. Rate them on a one to seven scale, please. How many bads was it? I know it's bad, but how many bads? <laughs> oh, on a scale of one, cats, they make everything good. On a scale of one to seven, would you? How would you rate Islamophobia that you experienced <laughs> in January? One to seven. How about February? Was it better or worse in February? Quantify for comparative it. purposes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, for the researcher purposes only, this is a text box that you have to fill out, and there's. Uh, totally free form, except for 500 characters. Explain the worst thing that happened to you each month. Okay, I do want to say something about text boxes since you said the word text boxes. There, so everyone warned us that text boxes are pointless. One, it's hard to use that data because you're getting all this quantitative data and then you got a lot of text and unless you're going to tag them, there's not that much, much use of them. And then people don't fill them out anyway because they're boom, 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 answering question. So they'll just skip text boxes. The text, people are writing essays in this thing. Like I was blown away about the, by the responses there because I really was thinking people would just skip. The survey is, depending on how you identify, between 20 to 30 minutes, it's not a short survey. And those questions are near the end. I really thought people were just going to skip over them, but it's been super encouraging that they haven't. That's so incredible. I mean, I think it really shows how much people want to tell their experiences to somebody who's going to listen, right? Exactly. Um, like, yeah. Right. And like, there's clearly a lack of um, outlets to do that. Yeah. Um, and aside from the usual screaming into the social media void. Right. I, I will give a plug to all the Discord communities I found in the process of trying to propagate this survey because those communities are private. You can scream into the void and the void responds back with memes. Yeah, that's a good 
point. Yeah. I, well, speaking of privacy, now that you brought it up, um, I guess like what security measures are in place for people taking the survey? Yeah, that is super important. And we had to do, this is an actual academic survey. It's not just a like survey monkey uh, sort of a thing. The first thing you get when you log into it is a long UChicago IRB approved consent form. Um, so we do have oversight from the University of Chicago as far as how we're running this, uh, both as far as uh, meeting various data requirements. We're using Qualtrics, which is the uh, standard pretty much within academia, within uh, healthcare, within government surveys. The other one being Alchemer, which I wanted to use because alchemy, uh, but Qualtrics was free through Chicago. So we're going with Qualtrics, but it's super secure. Um, that is the same platform you'll find run by pretty much other any other academic survey. It's used by companies internally as well whenever they need something done privately. And then in addition to that, when we were designing the survey, we got some feedback from other folks who had done uh, very targeted work uh, about designing questions for the sake of privacy because eventually we hope to share a data set and actually produce a public data set of a particular sort. Um, and for example, if there is that one queer Muslim dude in random town, Montana, like that one, he will have doxxed himself if the questions are super specific. Oh, that, so, that is super relevant, especially with some of our names. Cause like some of our names, like if, if you keep names or yeah, even small towns in the United States, it's like, yeah, that one, that one queer Muslim person named so-and-so, like, and that's the only person in that state with that first name. Exactly. So no names. Uh, and then bans for particular categories as opposed to asking, say, your specific age. We don't ask what city you're in. We ask for your particular region within the United States. Any demographic info is generalized to the point that it's still useful, but not enough that any sort of reverse identity reconstruction can be done because we've that has happened to other surveys. The classic one being, oh, I always forget whether it was Yale or Harvard, but they did a Facebook, a survey on Facebook and used Facebook data as well, meaning mm -hmm. they had so much data and it was all rather specific. And anybody who had access to it could immediately start reconstructing identities. Even without names, they could start reconstructing oh identities. And we're basically making that so that even if we wanted to try to figure out who people were, we would not be able to. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, scary about the last one, especially if it was, yeah, run by Harvard or, yeah, like that, that seems like such an important component. Yeah. So it's good to know. All the I thought mean, that's gone not... in. Yeah. Sorry for cutting you off. I think I'm a little delayed. Um, I, I think it always surprises me, like how much, how little data, or like how little identifying stuff you need to find people when there's the internet, right? Like even just me as an individual person with no particular skills, just like doing a little bit of stalking, mm -hmm. it's it's not that hard. So when you get like significant amounts of personalized data plus yeah facebook data that you're 
I oh. basically already doxed myself by saying I'm doing this study and I go to this university and I have this name. Yeah. But I realized after doing my name change, I may have made it super easy to make myself identifiable because I included all the potential names I could get from my family, like my dad's clan name mm -hmm. from Pakistan, my mother's maiden name. Uh, and then I was like, trans folk, we tend to choose ridiculous specific fantasy sounding names. I didn't do that for my first name, but I do have a middle name slot. So Elisea, here we are. That's Guilty all, of okay, that as well. Doxing, apart from the doxing perspective, that's all really cool though that you included all that's that. A, yeah. I, I like collecting things. I might as well collect names too. I, like I said, also guilty of that. Yes. Um, but I also feel like it also is doubly so for especially immigrant, like immigrants and children of immigrants, because, you know, if I, t if I say, Hey, Grant Smith of, you know, Houston, Texas, you're going to get like 17 Grant Smiths and I'm like, Oh yeah, mm -hmm. only one of them is the world champion something or another but you'd still have to go through 17 actresses in texas to find that person whereas mm -hmm. you know um you put in my first name like my full first name in facebook and i am literally the only one in texas uh oh and, uh, well the yeah. Cal we're working on that in california we're sending all the brown folk to texas because oh, not God. not because we're deporting people because it's too expensive here it's too expensive yeah that's so true when um when i lived in houston i remember just all the california folks were moving there mm -hmm. yeah i like yeah like i knew a trans guy who's white and his name is chad and i'm like yeah that's a totally different situation <laughs> like, <sighs> yeah <laughs> i feel like all the trans dudes i meet I've met way too many Skylers. For some reason, I keep meeting oh, Skylers. I feel like Skylar is such a trans guy name because it's like mask-leaning, but also a little androgynous, yeah. so people can like pick it earlier in their transition and like not get as much shit. Mm -hmm. But Chad? Chad? Chad uh, I'm curious about the year in which picked that it was like yes that discourse was started already it was um it would have been let's see when did i know him 2009 ish and okay. yeah yeah i don't know how chat came about but i was like well it's a are we talking about name all are, the way are, are we talking about their chadness or do we want to get into the whole discussion of the chad discourse and how that yeah came? Um, what's the difference between oh, no, no, like, saying, like if someone were to choose Chad as their name today, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that's a very they're going into that like eyes open, like right? Like, yeah, I, be? I am the like the the icon of obnoxious exactly because we like, have since two thousand nine yeah. they had no, no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I think two thousand nine there was we didn't have the Karens and the Chads, you, you know, so. I think now he's, you know, he, he might, it, it might, yeah, it might have been a different discussion, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he does not strike me as a Chad, like as a personality at this point, <laughs> like the Chad that we know of, you know. It's now, it, it's a ironic <laughs> Chad name. 
Yeah, exactly. He's like, I had I had it before with this this thing. So yeah. That is sort of how you do not get to control how your name feels after you choose it. I never encountered the name Amara until I started using it. And then immediately there is another one at the Queer Crescent support group. Of course. Damn. Yeah, of, yeah, of course. And of course. started popping up in literature I was reading everywhere. It was suddenly everywhere. That's so weird how that happens. Like It's like, it's hard to know if it's like your brain is more in tune with that and you're noticing you're prone to noticing it more or if it's just like suddenly it's everywhere and it wasn't before but yeah that's wild when that kind of stuff happens coincidence is a scary thing yeah Uh um okay i sidetracked us so much um okay so like with the survey uh what kinds i i i'm sure you know there's a lot of confidentiality so as much mm-hmm. as you can share, like, what has the response been? You can, you know, numbers wise or content wise or anything that you are able to share. I'm not sure if I should share the exact number just because for some folks it might be discouraging because it's not as high as they want. Other folks it'd be like, wow, this is way more and maybe wouldn't necessarily feel as um, motivated to take the survey. But I can definitely say that we are significantly past what I wanted for a minimum. And then my co-research lead, Hamza, had a much smaller minimum and we're more than double that. Um, so safe, wanting to so, say numbers. Yeah, ah. so we're safely in the realm of statistical relevance while having an acceptable margin of error. Yeah, also I feel like I basically have set a number to a certain extent because I mentioned wanting to match that Ipsu poll So the Ipsu poll was uh, over 900. We are, I believe, approaching 500. And it's been, I think, a month and two weeks. So we're about the halfway point. So if we can keep this same pace and match Ipsu, I will be super happy. Yeah, take that, Ipsu. Yeah, and I really want to match um, not Ipsu, but another poll that was about um, 1,100, because while they didn't get no uh, respondents identifying as queer in some way, they were disappointed by the results. And I kind of want to make the point of, if you do specific outreach, you will actually reach specific people. If you don't do specific outreach, you will be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, Also, this is going back to what you were saying earlier, but I'm sure there's people who were queer taking that survey and they didn't feel confident enough in either like the organizers of that survey or the security of it to say that, right? Or exactly like didn't even want to take it in the first like they saw it and they're like, do I trust this? Do I want to do I want to put my personal information in this thingy? that is going where, you know, and I want to tell them that I'm queer, I'm trans, you know, so I I think not just the outreach, but also everything you were saying about privacy and security and Mm -hmm. that that's all part of it too, right? There's also definitely an element of the particular approach that you bring to a survey, like you admittedly can't control how your respondents are feeling when they fill something out. Uh, But say if the survey is presented as very political or specifically from a religious organization or just asking about religion specifically, 
you might be in the same mindset, say that if you were going to mosque or if you were going to a uh, Arab American center where you might be tamping down on certain parts of your identity and reflexively clicking like cis straight or whatever and thinking it's not particularly important to the survey because the survey is not particularly making a point of it. Uh, whereas if there's an organization that specifically is run by people who are of the same community, specifically welcoming, specifically looking at this topic and soliciting people's experiences, it's far more likely that they're going to respond on, well, I don't want to say honestly, because people need to wear different faces for different situations, uh, but react in a way that will get you significantly better data, significantly more accurate capturing of experiences, and hopefully also make the person taking the survey feel seen in a particular way. Yeah. Something else I'm wondering is um, how you're defining Muslim, if you're defining it for the purposes of this survey. I love that question uh, because this is a thing I've noticed on some surveys. They do not say very often, like, this is a survey for Muslims. And that means different things in different places. Uh, for example, I think when we posted, or actually, I think someone posted it onto the Reddit for LGBTQ Muslims, mm -hmm. and someone was wondering what it meant in one of the questions when it said, do you identify as Muslim religiously, culturally, communally, or in any other significant way, meaning a very broad definition, because this person was like, you're a Muslim if you have these particular beliefs, if you follow these particular principles, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not going to work for a lot of surveys. For one thing, in America, uh, othering creates Muslim as a different sort of category. You can be culturally Muslim. You can be communally Muslim. You can not identify as Muslim and have a jackass at the airport. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. You are. Uh, yeah, we yeah. have no sponsors. We don't Fuck care. Yeah. Okay, uh, a jackass at the airport pull you off to the side because you look Muslim. Uh, so surveys of Islamophobia, for example, I think they do the same thing we do, where they allow a relatively broad uh, net for who is a Muslim because what's applicable in that situation is pretty broad. And it's especially broad, I think, if you're going to be surveying LGBTQ folks because oftentimes... There's going to be folks who still are a part of their Muslim communities, are outwardly practicing Islam, but they may have doubts. They may have actually lost their faith, but continue practicing publicly for the sake of being part of the community. They might be reverts, like they might have left and come back, uh, left and come back. There are so many, it's complicated situations that a broad definition of Muslim I think it's not even just a like political statement. It's actually the only ethical way to do this kind of survey and do a lot of kind of surveys of Muslims in the United States. I guess going back to that Ipswich survey we keep talking about, I wonder like how many people would, or specifically like queer people would get to that survey, look at some questions and be like, never mind, maybe I'm not Muslim, maybe I shouldn't fill this out, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I'm kind of worried that, well, I'm not worried uh, about like giving people the wrong impression because we've tried to give people as uh, be as upfront about this as possible. But there is that thing where you see LGBTQ Muslim survey and as much as being culturally Muslim in the United States is a thing, uh, Islam is immediately the first thing people think of is 
of it as a religious thing. So a lot of people may or may not be taking the survey. I I wish I could uh, capture that, but that might be for the survey postmortem. Sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. and it's also like especially with people who are immigrants like they may not have the the cultural education i want to say i'm not saying mm -hmm. that like where it's just like the fact that you could be both either culturally or communally muslim and have that be a meaningful uh distinction to them mm -hmm. you know it's like that it just doesn't occur yeah I think we also asked yeah. if people identified as, yeah, the question was uh, in three parts, do you identify uh, primarily as religious? Do you identify primarily as spiritual? Do you identify primarily as cultural? Like that, the, those terms, spiritual specifically, that is such a like US Western specific approach to this, that it would make absolutely zero sense if we were say asking in Pakistan. Like, I want to rerun this survey all over the place. If I could run this in Pakistan, I am not including that question. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I kind of do wonder how people would respond. I, I, maybe, like, throw it in there, because I just want to, for me, throw it in there. How so people would interpret that. that. Yeah, yeah, it would be mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the idea of, well, now I'm thinking, um, like, what culturally Muslim means, and different places and I think there is a sense of that or I guess specifically I'm Lebanese so is Ellie there there's definitely a sense of culturally Muslim right because there's yeah. religion there's more of a sense there's almost an idea of like ethno-Muslim because definitely sectarianism right versus in in somewhere like Pakistan maybe maybe not so much you know well actually I don't know there's well, definitely something there <laughs> yeah yeah but, like, as someone who's Mexican, I'm really invested in the idea of ethnogenesis, like how identities and ethnic groups and all these things sort of become created. And I'm definitely willing to say that the extra dose of othering that happened after 9-11, it definitely didn't make Muslim an ethnicity, but there's absolutely a experience of being Muslim in the United States that was somewhat universal and somewhat brought people together in a way that didn't entirely exist before. Um, like the fact that I remember my dad talking about seeing all these uh, Muslim organizations, Queer Crescent among them, where when he first came over, if such a thing was going to happen, it would probably have been along like ethnic lines. There would have been an Afghan organization. There would have been an Arab organization. There would have been a Pakistani organization. There would have been a Nigerian organization. And that now that that still happens, of course, but there are increasingly these pan-Muslim groups. Which is interesting. I mean, I, on, on one hand, like there are different groups of people coming together, but I feel like I notice like when it's Arab organizers, Sometimes it is not. Uh, now I feel like I'm. I'm not going in on certain people. I actually mean more broadly. Do you want uh, me to do but... this so it's the, so it, like I nobody knows who I am really? So I'm not attacking. No, no, no. no I, I actually don't care. Um, because like some some people are like Arab supremacists, right? Um, so I I, I feel mm -hmm. like when you see Muslim American organizations that are run by Arab people. 
sometimes there's not that much ethnic and racial inclusion or like sometimes mm-hmm. it's when it's like it becomes like just uh, middle eastern and south asian focused and like you don't see a lot of like black american muslims there um i'm like, i'm going in on one person you can go in on your person <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna name no i'm not gonna name uh, yeah. them but that person in houston yeah um that happened mm-hmm. and she actually ellie you know who i'm talking about she banned she literally banned black muslims from the organization which is why i was making the whole oh face. yeah oh for yeah. Yeah. for a little context for our listeners we are on video chat and i sometimes do make faces where it's just like haha yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean i i, I yeah they're you have a very specific person in mind. I actually really do mean it more generally. Even the people who wouldn't do something like so explicit, like ban people based on race, just not. And I don't think it's entirely conscious. I some think sometimes people have a concept of what a Muslim community looks like based on mm-hmm. what they grew up with, and they might have not have really done enough thinking about what it takes to transfer that into being an actual community organizer um but I I think like what comes up for me is like when I get invited to Muslim American spaces and I like don't even identify as Muslim like religiously or half my mom's family is but I wouldn't say that like culturally Muslim is the most relevant way for me to identify Mm -hmm. um and when I get invited to things like that you know I used to think like oh you know it's just chill they have like a very broad sense of Muslim adjacent that's cool um but then looking that literal Muslims who are like maybe black or East Asian or something like that aren't being invited to the table it it then I start to question like what is behind the way you're forming your community you know Plus yeah. that whole wonderful conflation of Muslim equal Arab. Yeah, and I mean that comes from like right. I get that it comes from white America in a sense of like not knowing the difference, right? Mm-hmm. But then when it, it comes from Arab America, it's it's coming from a different place of being like we're the most Muslim Muslims. Mm-hmm. I often want to be generous and say that part of it is like a defensive measure just because Arab and Muslim communities have been attacked. So there's a sort of retreating into the community and that can be very insular, Uh, but that's not necessarily an excuse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's on one hand, like if they really were so chill and open and allowing like anyone with vaguely Muslim adjacency, like cool. But as long as that is not just along ethnic lines, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's when there's kind of double standards that um, then it, it gets questionable. Yeah, um, and I'm to bring up that organization in Houston again. Um, the reason it, the reason I'm kind of like focusing in on that is it was such a prime example of like um, exactly what Nadia said. No matter how someone maybe identified, if someone was like maybe Arab or um, South Asian and their family or part of their family happened to be Muslim, but they didn't practice Islam. They weren't like um, 
they didn't identify even culturally with Islam. Mm -hmm. um, several people, including me, were being welcomed into this organization. And then um, various, you know, eventually the leader of it said that this was only for South Asian and Arab Muslims. And that excluded like the East Asian Muslims there and the black Muslims and, and it, including people who like really practiced Islam like devoutly or um, had like really, it was like such a solid part of their identity. Yeah, would, um, my brain immediately went to the, would I have yeah. to half leave? What is this? Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously the, the group so... kind of like imploded after that, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, I, I bring it up now because it's just like, it's an example where a lot of people were actually depending on that space in the Houston area and surrounding. And it was the space for like queer either queer Muslims or queer, like anyone who had like Muslim family or maybe like, yeah, just what we're, we're talking like about. And that and just, yeah. That broad um, sense of belonging and then a betrayal right there. Exactly. And then it just like zeroed in, it, you know, it zoomed in, zoomed in, zoomed in, pushed a lot of people out. And then it's like, where do you go from there? Um, and it's yeah it, it surveys like the one you're doing is it's just so important to recognize like the multifaceted um identities that are under the umbrella of like muslim or queer muslim mm -hmm. and that is sort of one of the things i hope this gets used at like even putting aside like very specific questions and the responses to them one of the things that i hope happens with this is say there's you know just a annoying uncle who happens to be in charge of an organization <laughs> and they're like oh well we don't have to think about any whether there's queer muslims involved or invite queer muslims they don't exist because i've heard that repeatedly uh boom here are some numbers exists uh the other one i'm thinking of is that there was a whole thing in my town where the schools were redoing their sexual education, they wanted to do comp like surprisingly progressive uh, comprehensive sexual education. And it got it, this almost hopeful in a way. It got the Muslims, it got the Jews, it got the Christians, and they got the Hindus all together to show up to PTA meetings and be like, no, we do, we do not want this. This is absolutely horrific. Uh, also, these people do not exist within our community. And yet again boom numbers exist have these needs and one of them actually probably would have been comprehensive sexual education so like whenever there's a space that is not open just the fact that there are now numbers to match the narratives that have been there the whole time is something that i hope can crack open spaces that's huge i remember when i i, I had a conversation i have a brother in Saudi Arabia and he's like way younger than me and he was a teenager at the time we had this conversation and he just like very confidently was like yeah Saudi Arabia doesn't have any queer people <laughs> um and I I yeah I, I mean I know this isn't about like this isn't a survey about queer Saudis but it's like mm -hmm. any any numbers that you can like point to and be like 
yeah, this isn't just speculation. No one's making this up. Um, it, it is really helpful to have statistics to like point to if someone makes some statement, some kind of like ludicrous statement like that in any context, whether it's like socially on a micro level in your family versus like um, in in the context of maybe creating policies it's, mm -hmm. they can be used in so many ways and you even though that was about saudi it's the exact same impulse just like a hand-waving dismissal and a unwillingness to even engage with the issue because it's not important right yeah and say. even yeah even in those like just little conversations with your family like if you can send them a link to something and say here's a here are some numbers you know like try again um mm -hmm. it can just feel like okay you have some backing you have someone out there like validating your existence um exactly yeah i was just gonna say it is kind of nice that like come together just thought like i i kind of it's a little heartwarming when like a lot of people come together to suck together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I, it actually, I'm not, I don't want to bag on millennials because that's what, uh, that's like the boomer generation's job. But I am often disappointed with our generation, but I do want to say the people from my old high school, they showed up to be like, no, you guys did us wrong and could have done better. Don't listen to our parents. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, that interfaith sucking at the like all coming together, it is kind of heartwarming. The religious light right is becoming more tolerant of people who agree with them. Mm -hmm. Though it's when you get the right people angry, it's a good sign. I remember thinking that Queer Crescent uh, had like kind of made it because I found a like, uh, piece about them on a conservative Muslim website, like talking about how vile it was and everything. And I was like, yeah, we pissed off the right people. And also like that's publicity, right? Because like somebody's some teenager whose parents read that site is gonna be like, yeah, I'm just reading the same site you read. And now they're gonna learn about this queer Muslim organization and where they can contact it. Exactly. Everyone who's ever had a of MAGA uncle, as I have a couple, has gotten a forward from them and then like, oh, this is actually cool news. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> like this thing you think is vile, this is kind of awesome. Yeah. You're like, yes, that is like what we're aiming for. <laughs> it's like, you, yeah, we're aiming for that, but I only wish we were this successful, you know? The right makes out the left to be so powerful and like conspiratorial and I wish we were. I wish I know, we were like it's kind of empowering to get that confidence from I wish we were subject. as 1% as leftists in America as the right makes us out to be. That that too. Yes. The fact that when we say left it could mean uh milk toast centrist and usually makes means milk toast centrist when I am thinking raging uh leftist progressive. Yeah, it's also like the right is like these people are gonna bring down the legacy of western civilization and I'm like that's cool but really we're just like so can anyone um, meet on tuesday night no not, not tuesday okay what about sunday mm -hmm. 
It's like we can't even get people to show up at the meeting on time, much less begin the downfall of Western civilization. But thanks for I, the encouragement. Yeah, if I can't organize my D&D game to be more than once a month, I am not going to be able to get like other real things done nearly as easily as they think. <laughs> Which just gives me massive respect for all the Antifod people who actually managed to get shit done. Mm-hmm. It's like, they get that kind of shit done, and then they get it, get blown wildly out of proportion by the by everyone's right-wing uncles, and it's just, like, kind of heartwarming. Yeah. Aw. It's all about the love. I, I know, I love that they're, like, over-crediting us. We did ask about political affiliation, and we'd use the standard boilerplate language of liberal and conservative, which obviously erases a whole stream beyond just basic liberal, but it's the language people understand. We asked that, and I really wonder how many people we're going to be getting on the right. Like, it is going to blow my mind if there are a lot of uh, right-leaning uh, LGBTQ Muslims out there, but... That I mean, would be fascinating to know. Yeah, exactly. To see, yeah. And I know there's a few. There are a few, and I agree with not having personal identifying information, but, like, if there was, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I, 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 I don't know. I think there's, like, a growing, not large, but just a very particular type of people who want to be the conservative token. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a career path because, you know, that conservative organizations and outlets are just like dying for someone to be like I'm a gay Muslim and I support whoever you know like and I'm a Republican and, and you would not need to be eloquent or even no. like able to string together a basic sentence as long as you could go on tv and say the proper points yeah. at least uh with a certain level of disdain yeah yeah and just be like the left wants you to think that this is what we want but actually, I believe in whatever, and you know, Which, you just need one. You just need one person to do it. And I do it. want to name the website that was attacking Queer Crescent because it's exactly that minus the queer part. Uh, it is the Muslim skeptic, and if you just erased all the Islam parts, it literally just sounds like Breitbart did. Like the exact same language, and specifically uh, attacking the left. Like this is right-wing Islam, but with an emphasis on the right part and not the Islam part. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go look at it. <laughs> oh god, I'm gonna like look up that site on incognito mode later. I hate scrolling, uh, or not hate scrolling, doom scrolling is absolutely a thing that people indulge sometimes in. Sometimes it's a good thing to kick back with. Like, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I do bad. not, I do Which not, I oh yeah, I do not subscribe to this level of self-harm. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I would do this to myself. I think I just, yeah. I'm, I have to deal with I will, enough, like... I will glimpse. I will do a glimpse. I have to deal I with enough... Go there. Yeah. I have to deal with enough right-wing media professionally. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, do you want to explain what you mean? Okay, so I work for a rather large web host, and so all these, like... B and C tier right-wing celebrities like have their news sites and blogs um, hosted by one of our corporations. So anytime something goes wrong or they get malware infected or hacked, I have to help them. 
and occasionally and talk like, to them. Can I not fix this? Could you you're subtly like, fuck their websites up more? Yeah. Like, what if you like? I, what if you sprinkled in some like the uh, subliminal messages in their in their website? Like with a random interval, so that they yeah. can't really blame anyone. Exactly. In fact, they'll they'll think they imagined it. You know, I I want I want to say that. yes, but for the for, for the purposes of not incriminating myself and providing future uh, prosecutors free um, <laughs> fuel, no, I would never do that. Not under okay. any circumstance. For the I record, am a, for the official record, I am an <laughs> utter professional who has never, under any circumstance, ever considered sabotaging somebody's website for political reasons. That's, I what a good believe thought. you. You should totally 100% believe me. I do. You also in oh, no way whatsoever recommend other people do the thing that you just oh, said. Yes. You no condoning. And I would and I would caution anyone who runs one of these blogs to definitely protect yourself against XMR PC attacks and definitely up, update your constant contact web uh, contact form 7 and other contact form related plugins on WordPress because those have a lot of vulnerabilities and you people haven't hit your upgrade button in years. Okay, you should send all of those right-wing people a bill for your your time just now. I have spent exactly that's actually solid advice. <laughs> um anyway, so <laughs> yeah, on that note, gone pretty far off the track but yeah okay sorry (laughs) yeah sorry this is what happens when we all come together um oh i'm aware yeah (laughs) not my Um, first rodeo i was was gonna ask do you want to talk a little bit more broadly about um your research apart from the survey maybe some of the qualities you mentioned sure yeah i still going down the phd path that needed a little bit of uh re-kerfuffling I don't know if that's a word um but now I basically am doing my PhD in sociocultural anthropology so my project is going to be an ethnography meaning like a deep qualitative dive into a particular kind of community and I'm specifically trying to look at how uh, LGBTQ Muslims create particular senses of community and belonging so I've been keeping in contact with activist organizations. I've been working at Queer Crescent. I've been interacting with communities online. And the idea is basically to lay out the various ways that folks take a very conflicted intersectional position, like being Muslim and LGBTQ in various ways, and take those experiences, those traumas, and turn it into turn it into a sense of belonging, turn it into a sense of like a workable everyday self. Um, I have not technically fully started this. I still have to do my project proposal soon. Uh, but yeah, that's what my research outside of the quantitative survey realm is. Um, like once this survey is done, I really am gonna hunker down and do this because I want that doctorate. You like, if I time it right, so I can cool. have doctor on the cover of the survey report, and I really want to do that. Ooh. Oh. So, Wait, how long do you have for that to happen? With I the, should be proposing the in the fall. 
So okay. scheduling the next scheduling the next Possibly. appearance after that, so we can title it Doctor Amara visit us today. Yes, no, you no, need to come that. back on when you have that, and we get yeah, we'll put that. I think you should just start using it early. I think we should just put Doctor in your episode title. Just I mean, as a preview. Yeah, I mean, if we want to be very... accurate. Future it wouldn't be it wouldn't be accurate and i have been tempted to use the title master but no okay. one does it it's 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 right there it. and no yeah. one does it there are reasons I, but i went to one of nadia's shows like this show that nadia was in and it like when it, when you go to buy the ticket it was like put your title mr ms and it was like countess master and like all this stuff i think i don't remember if i chose countess or master but yeah one of the two was you the know, one i went with i appreciate that complaint for Kazar airways um they let you pick shape so i put oh, that nice you should have <laughs> i did i did oh wait you did that that they didn't like refund me for yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can they say no to Shake Nadia? They did. Mm -hmm. they did. So... Oh, they did say no. Okay, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, off track again. Well, um... I do want to really quickly say that I do technically have a registration registration deed. I'm looking at it right now. A registration deed for my duchyhood from the Principality of Sealand. A yeah. non-exit. A completely made up micronation and the sea outside of Britain. <laughs> so if I get that doctor title, I can be uh, the doctor duchess. That's the yeah. first time we've discussed Sealand oh here either. Oh my God. Yet again, that... I think there might be a crossover between people who <laughs> listen and go on podcasts and are maybe unhealthily obsessed with Sealand. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be a research specifically on all these correlations that we're yeah, finding what, what through the podcast. I don't know. Because <sighs> it is one. Oh. There, it, it's a thing. I don't know what you call it, but it's a type of person. I would call yeah, I would call that, myself that would out if I said I would call myself yeah. out and be like, what technologically obsessed, obsessed trans people suddenly know about Sealand and would have incorporate a duchy under it? point i mean calling myself out a little a lot completely i love how specific this is but there would probably you would probably get a good crowd more people. <laughs> yeah I, in the bay area the population <laughs> of very techie trans people is a notable population when i went to a keyboard meetup i was not the only trans person there and there were people who had built the exact same keyboard as me I am not shocked oh at God. all. I was going to say, Ellie, does this sound familiar? Extremely. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ellie has a lot of pride in her keyboards. I don't know, keyboard or keyboards, plural at this I point? I mean, it sure. goes for both kinds of keyboards. It's like there's the, of course, you know, musical keyboard, which there's a huge synth, transgender, huge and not insignificant transgender synth, synth loving organizational thing going on. And there's also, you know, keyboard dorks who have, will assemble like their own boards and affix all the key switches and just be like, yes, I must have those, per, you know, circa 2012 uh, MX Cherry Blues. 
I, I know this is a podcast and thus not a visual medium. Can I show you my queer Muslim keyboard? My Please do. queer Please. Muslim magical girl keyboard. I'll be right Please. back. Oh my God, I'm so excited. We're gonna have to describe it out loud for. Yeah. We're, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna have a photo to include with the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're not a visual medium, but now we can drive people to our website with this with a photo of this absolutely banging keyboard. Yeah, we know how to narrate. Oh my gosh! It, okay. And most importantly, crescent moons <gasps> here and oh, it's... here. And for your gamers. And for you gamer yeah. dorks out there, I will describe it. The uh, number row, this is a, I believe, 60% keyboard where the number row is um, transgender blue with the controls, the side control buttons, space bar, backspace, and other relevant function keys are all pink with the all the letters being white. And there's, of course, the teal, I want to say teal green across alt function, windows, and enter. For a special bonus for you gamer folks out there, there are rainbow flags on the WASD keys mm -hmm. and special crescents on the escape. And I can't see what the top right button is, but I think that's another crescent. That is a brass crescent moon. Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> Love so. it. That was that was top notch narration. Thanks, Ellie. Seriously. I I am yeah, familiar so with the subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. You were the right person to narrate that. Um, I've so, been wanting to yeah. show off that keyboard as a where the data science gets done kind of a post, but I've never found an excuse to do so. I love it. Today, I, I think today today's the day. Um, we could even like include a photo of it. We, we want a photo of it for the podcast. If if you want, if you want. I already have a photo that we can use from our uh, slash mechanical keyboards. Gorgeous. Perfect. Okay, amazing. <laughs> um, and anyway, so I, I'm sure many of our listeners would be interested in taking the survey. Um, can you direct them to how to access it? We'll also post the link on our um, website. Along with yeah, the photo um, of the keyboard. Yes, yeah, obviously. There is a link directly to it from uh, on the Queer Crescent website. I think as long as the survey is going on, it's going to be on the front page. So you literally just can type in queercrescent.org. I believe it's .org and not .com. Let me just double check. Or even just like, probably if you Google Queer Crescent, yes, it'll be the it first thing, right? Okay. And it's .org. There's a little take the survey at the button. And I can give you folks the like direct link to the Qualtrics survey so that folks don't have to uh, go through anything else. And yeah, it's awesome. on the Qualtrics platform. It's if you don't meet any of the triggers that give you extra questions, such as uh, being an immigrant or refugee, uh, being trans, uh, having done sex work or a number of other things. It's basically 20 minutes. It adds about two to three minutes each time you have an extra little, it's complicated. Awesome. I'm pretty sure anyone who would say it's complicated would take the time to explain it. They seem like that sort of person. Oh yeah. Um, Another correlation. My co-lead was talking about how when we started out, we had like 
50, no, uh, we had, I think on Google Docs, the base question document was about 90 pages. And if we just threw that whole thing in, it would have been like a three and a half hour long survey. And she would have taken it. People are invested. I would not have taken it, but yeah, wow. we got it. We got it down to something Amazing. that I hope most people would be willing to set the time for. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who is willing to do this survey, you will be contributing to something that's very needed. Oh, and there's a raffle. Oh. Because all academic surveys need to have like a weird little raffle thing going on. All right. Extra yeah. bonus incentive. So go go yeah. do the survey. Yeah. Society and possibly learn something. And I want to yeah. give a shout out specifically to there's a few coupons for stores that were supporting this. One of them is a clothing company called Oh, I, I'm not remembering the name, but they're very easy to find because I think they're the only clothing company that has booty shorts with haram or halal on the butt. That's so hot. Oh my God. Yes. I love that. Like, oh. I, I, I need to order a, a pair, but they are always out of stock. Uh, I mean, that's surprising. That's pretty fucking cool. This is now incredibly oh. relevant and important information. So please let us, we need to know. I think it's Blingistan. Okay. I'm 99% sure that the store's name is Blingistan. That's such a cool name. I love that. Yeah, they have all sorts of cool yeah. Like, even if you don't take the survey, go check out Blingistan. I can't imagine picking halal between the two if I have the choice. But hmm. more, I mean, but yeah. They're like, it's like, this ass is halal. You can eat it. Oh, that's You went oh, exactly wait. where oh, I was cool. thinking. I like that. Okay, I like that. Also, anytime anyone would point to said booty shorts and say that clothing is immodest, you're like, no, it it, it says <laughs> halal right here. <laughs> okay, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, now now I'm like, shit, which one? Okay, now I would need, yeah, I would need one of both. Yeah, so I'll take them home. By the way, Blingistan, if you want to sponsor us, please. We are very, now very invested and interested in this. <laughs> we are. Also, Nadia froze. Um, oh, Nadia's back. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, if people want to find you, Amada, like, where can they, how can they contact you, um, connect with you online, etc. If if you are into that kind of thing. I am a... Uh, bad internet person in that the uh, my email is always the best way to reach me and my email is out there that's not private so if people have questions about the survey want to help distribute or have questions of any sort I'm open to emails perhaps arrange media contacts and interviews emails yes I, yes. I do yet again this is a podcast medium not a visual medium but I do have a wonderful uh bookshelf green screen going on oh yeah oh yeah i love your bookshelf um in fact i think we had talked about we should have this as our podcast picture i mean along with the keyboard which will like mm -hmm. be on the website but um yeah so we'll do that afterwards at recording okay um, oh awesome. self-conscious 
I know. I am kind of stiff. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll deal with it after. Um, listeners, <laughs> we're going to take a screenshot after this and you'll see it. So deal with it. However, however it comes out, just deal with it. Um, so you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Queer Arabs and um, email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. Our website is thequeerarabs.com. Um, and thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Amada, for coming on. It was amazing four years later to see you and hang out. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me again. Mm-hmm.